Hello, everyone. Thanks for coming outside me today. Today, we head to northern Indiana to talk with Derek Craig from Magnus Broadheads and New Day Outdoors on YouTube, a great friend of mine. Uh, very excited that he is on the show today. Not as I consider to be your average guy, but I'm still happy he's here. But if you at home, the average guy, if you will, just like me, you want to be on the podcast, please send me an email, averagejackarchery at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram, find me on Facebook, leave a comment on YouTube. We'd love to have you on. But today's episode is not about you. It is about Derek. And Derek, I can't thank you enough, buddy, for coming on the show today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. And you are completely wrong. I am 100% average. <laughs> I'll never forget the first time I met Derek at ATA. And I had watched all of Derek's videos. I'll never forget it. And I walk up to him and I'd always thought Derek was shorter because I'm 6'4". I walked up and I remember the first thing was like, oh my gosh, he's a lot taller than I thought he was on camera. And uh, <laughs> I remember telling you that and being like, yeah, I watch all of your stuff and all this sort of thing. And I just... It was just really cool, and I'm I'm glad that our our friendships where it's at, and it's and it's been flourishing. We've seen each other at ATA. It's kind of like our deer camp, getting back together. And I'm happy to have you on today, but it's it's awesome. So, um, I I'm just glad there's one person that's watched everything that I've ever made. I every single video. <laughs> I go back, I go back and watch that the prototype Mac Bla uh, uh, Magnus Black Hornet hunt that you yeah. know you blur out the broadhead. I watch that every single year like the night before archery season. It's like one of my like pump up videos. It is. It truly is. I'm not lying. I watch it every single year, at least once uh, before the fall season rolls around. Um, the best part about that, the best part about that video is me shooting the woodchuck though. Oh, it's the greatest. It was a big old whistle pig, <laughs> big old whistle pig. But anyhow, for those who don't know Derek as well as I do back home, Derek, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit. Uh, you're, you're, you know, you work in the industry, but you have other backgrounds, of course, outside of it as well and, and where you are there. Uh, yeah. So again, my name is Derek Craig. I actually uh, born and raised and still live in Northeast Indiana, just outside of a small town called Angola. Um, we are literally in the Northeast corner from my house. I can be in Ohio in under 10 minutes. I can be in Michigan in under 10 minutes. Um, so anyways, uh, I'm uh, 51 years old. I'm, I'm an old man anymore, I feel like. But um, yeah, I'm actually a mechanical engineer. I've spent uh, my entire career working in uh, construction engineering, design engineering, project engineering, owned my own business for uh, about 10 years, uh, sold that, um, have some patents and all kinds of different things, um, but uh, and I currently am a I, my role is a forensic engineer. Um, so I work from home, which uh, I was working from home before working from home became cool in the last few months. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, so um, I feel like everybody now understand they've all tapped into the they know how awesome working from home is, and it was a great kept secret before, but. Uh, so anyways, but I do get to dabble in the hunting industry. Um, I've been affiliated with Magnus Broadheads in all kinds of capacities since uh, 2009. So over a decade now. Um, and uh, so that's probably my, my, uh, my biggest role uh, in the industry. But I've got other companies that I work with and friendships that I've made. and. Um, I've got this little thing called New Day Outdoors. It's been my own thing for, again, over a decade. Um, 
you know, for 11 or 12 years now, but yeah, Magnus is, has uh, been my ticket to getting into this industry and everything I've done. And Mike Som, who owns Magnus Broadheads has become one of my dearest, uh, closest friends. Uh, and the journey that he and I have gone through together has been pretty awesome. So, yeah. And it's, it's really cool. The more and more that I, you know, I've only now quote been around the industry truly for like the past two years, but the more and more that I get to be in it, the more and more I realize that it's just a lot of people in your shoes, in my shoes, we have like real jobs, like in the real yeah. life. And then our yeah, industry connection is just that it's our industry connection. Yeah. Cause you can't, you can't make a living in the industry. No, <laughs> you <laughs> like, can't like, it's, no. I'll never forget the first time I met Mike at, at, in 2018 the ata show he's like no one gets in the broadhead industry to be a millionaire no and it's so he, true the it, but if you get on social media everybody thinks that uh, people are in the broadhead industry or any aspect of the hunting industry we're all millionaires and stuff but uh yeah it's it's been fun um because i've always said that you know my mortgage money and my um my grocery money is made outside of the industry. So when I work in the industry, for me, it's pure enjoyment. Um, you know, so many people in the industry, and we see the guys on TV, they get accused of hopping from brand A to brand B and, and following the money. And in their defense, I know that's frustrating to watch, but in their defense, that's because their mortgage payment hangs on that when your mortgage payment or putting food on the table for your family hangs on, do I shoot brand A because I like it better or brand B because they're going to pay me 20% more than brand A was. That's why that happens. And, you know, so for guys like me and yourself and many of our mutual friends that we have in this industry who, who make their primary living elsewhere, for us being in this industry is a lot of fun. And I think there's a lot of, you get more genuine opinions, whether it's uh, doing reviews on products or genuine relationships, because you're now out to connect with brand X or uh, Joe Smith because of a dollar sign. And so that for me has always been kind of one of the, the wonderful parts about, you know, at least for my role, in the industry. And I think that the companies that I align myself with, whether it's a formal alignment or uh, just gentlemen's agreement alignments, I think they appreciate that too, you know? So. Right. And I, and I, I always have told people I put way more money into me doing this with the industry than I've ever gotten out of it. Way more money has gone. It's not even, (laughs) it, it is not even close, but like you said, because I am, I don't know of a good way to think of it. I'm, I'm kind of a glorified customer, really, or a, um, yeah, I mean, that's a, I think it's the best way to say it, glorified customer. You know, I get to kind of go to the ATA show and all that sort of stuff, but I'm paying my way, right? I, yeah. I, I pay for yeah. my hotel room. No one's paying for that. I pay for the gas, the car to get down there, pay for my meals. No one's paying for any of that sort of stuff. Um, and so for me, in putting that in, because I'm not getting money from somebody, I feel no um, uh, uh, push or drive to say, well, I have to say nice things about this, you know? Right. And so I'm able to then 
work around and work with, not work for, because they're not paying me anything, but and, and work around these companies that I truly believe in, the people that I strongly connect with. And I think that a lot of people kind of misconstrue folks on YouTube, you, me, guys like the Hunting Public, Garrett Prawl, or all that sort of stuff, these faces, that we are... Um, we're in it because we're getting money and that is just not true whatsoever. We're in it because we truly enjoy it. This is a glorified hobby for us and we are putting a lot more into it than we're ever going to get out of it. And I'm totally fine with that. I really am. Oh yeah. 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 Really you know, am. I mean, I, everybody's case is different, you know, and, and I know for me, um, you know, yeah, there's a lot of perks in it. Um, you know, when I go to ATA, I don't, I don't pay for anything. Um, there's a lot of products that are just sent to me. Um, those are definite perks, but I will tell you that, um, if I was, <laughs> I would be, I would, let me put it this way. I would be financially way further ahead for me just to jump on Cabela's website and buy the things that I need because everything that I invest and do, whether it's in the video side or um, you know, just, just everything else in the industry, trust me, I, I spend so much more money that when a couple of packs of broadheads show up on my doorstep or a dozen arrows or, or whatever it is, um, like that doesn't even cover the costs that it took to get there. So nobody's writing me checks, right. You know, um, if they want to, that's great. Hey, that'd be awesome. Write me some checks. You know, right. <laughs> I mean, if I get, if I get a couple of free turkey decoys you know then so be it but you don't understand how much money of my money's going in on the front end of things and and i do a lot of r d stuff uh for magnus and other companies as well and rather than taking a, a check you know sometimes it's a hey you know here's a turkey decoy or here's a whatever you know or and and that's fine by me because you know, I, I don't do it for the money and I don't do it for the free product. It, it's doing it for the relationships. It's doing it to help a brand and a company, which ultimately is the owner, the face behind that company who I've become great friends with. And I believe in it. And I want to see that person succeed just as much as I want to see me succeed in whatever I do in life. So, you know, I want to see I want to see Mike Somm succeed more than any person that I've ever known. I want to see Dave Smith and Brad Cochran uh, succeed more than any people I know. I mean, there's some of the, those three gentlemen I just rattled off right there. Uh, Greg Hogan, I'd throw him in the mix with DSD as well, are some of the most genuine, nicest people that I've ever met. And, I, and I've got many others that I know in this industry. So when I throw my name in the hat with them on a project and they send me a, a decoy or they, in Mike's case, you know, whoever knows how many packets of broadheads or whatever, I'm not doing it for that. I'm doing it for them because I want to see them succeed because I, I truly admire what they're doing. I love them as people. I respect the hell out of them and consider them some of my dearest friends in this world, you know? So I want to see that, you know, just as I want to see, uh, you know, you and what you're doing in your YouTube channel and all that, you know, I'd bend over backwards and, you know, if you want help on a video project, just so I could see that, that Nate succeeded in whatever that project was, or it got you to another level or whatever. And that's just, I think when you start working within the industry that way, the rewards that you get from it 
are so much more than somebody writing you a check for, you know, a couple, a few hundred bucks or a few thousand dollars or whatever. I'll take that stuff any day over the money. That's why I do what I do. And I don't think a lot of people, I think it's becoming more and more prevalent now with more and more faces in the YouTube scene in particular, how small and how tight knit the outdoor industry and in particular the subset of the archery industry really is in the grand scheme of all the major you know, like the firearms industry or the automobile industry, you don't really realize until you kind of start getting more and more peaks at the inside. Everybody knows everybody in some way. Oh, yeah. And they might know, yeah. they might remember them back from 20 years ago when they, you know, I was doing this and I, they were doing that. And there's a lot of that. And I'm, I'm glad that I get to see that. Cause I always, you know, before I kind of started getting more involved that I always thought, Oh, it's just these huge mega corporation companies. No, it's not. It's a guy no. making broadheads out of his garage. It's a guy yeah. making strings out of his out of his pole barn in his backyard. I mean, you know, it's that sort of stuff. And the owners and the CEOs are doing a lot of the work themselves. They're work. They're not sitting in some high rise tower in New York City or something and overlooking the books. They're in the machine shop. They're in where the targets are made. They're in where the arrows are manufactured or whatever. And there's a lot of that. And I think there that's a a, a cool thing that it's kind of getting, I don't want to say exposed because that sounds like it was some deep, dark secret, but I think that's a cool thing because I think more and more people are understanding this connection and these connections between people. Cause I want to see you succeed, right? You know, I don't care. I don't care if a channel has 500 subscribers or 500,000. I want to see everybody because we are all helping each other and pushing each other in the right direction. We're just dragging each other down. And, and it's so important for that. And so, since we kind of have the, we've, we've cracked open the industry thing here, I want to talk quickly about this because I get this question asked a lot because um, I shoot Magus Broads, I've shot Magus Broadheads all when I was a kid. I shoot them now, obviously now as a grown up now that I left, you know, the two years that I shot mechanicals behind. I get asked a lot, hey, did Magnus come out with a new broadhead like all the other companies did or the vast majority of companies? And I kind of want to unpack this a little bit because I don't think people understand when it comes to making a bow with new cams or limbs or uh, new riser designs or new broadheads in the machining, how much money goes into the R&D work behind the scenes before that product hits the floor and hits the packaging and hits the shelves. So for example, Magnus released the Black Hornet in 2015. They haven't done anything else, but there are reasons as to why that has happened. And a big one is the return on investment. I kind of want to talk about that real quick for the folks at home who don't really understand that. Right. So, you know, um, business 101 um, is a simple term called ROI, return on investment. I mean, so anytime in business when you are going to buy a piece of equipment, if you're going to develop a new product, um, you know, uh, develop a new process, whatever. The thing you have to look at is what is your ROI? What's the return on investment? And how quickly am I going to recoup that money? Let's say, for example, that I decided for whatever reason, I wanted to start a machine shop out in my pole barn here at my house. Well, let's say I'm going to buy a a screw machine or something. I mean, and I'm just going to make some numbers up here. Let's say that machine cost me $15,000. Fifteen thousand dollars is a lot of money. So my first and primary interest is if I'm going to shell out fifteen thousand dollars, how quickly can I get fifteen thousand dollars back? Um, because 
I don't just have $15,000 laying around. I mean, and if I'm going to go to a bank and borrow $15,000 to buy that, I got to pay that money back to the bank. And I don't want it to be a 30 year mortgage to pay back a, a screw machine. Am I going to be able to pay that money, make all that money back in profit to pay that back in a year's time? And so that's what a lot of people don't understand. Um, you know, when we look at something, say the Black Hornet project, so that was a fun project. Um, Mike and I had been talking about what are we going to do next? And uh, we were kicking around different ideas. And um, he was actually kicking some ideas with his in-house machinist. And he's, he called me up one day. He said, hey, I, got, I, I think I got this idea. He's like, you know, we've been talking about some new broadhead. It's got to be cut on contact. I was actually running down a rabbit trail of a replaceable three blade head at the time. And he's like, you know, these short and squatty heads that some of these companies are making got this idea for this product. And so we kick it around. And so that product actually took nearly a year to develop. It took, I think it was somewhere around $20,000 of investment money on his money because there was, machining setup time there were samples that had to be run um there's just so much that goes into the whole thing not only that but now you're also taking a machining time window out of your current production now thankfully where he was at because we had he had changed up some production with some other stuff he he'd sold off the traditional lines ahead so freed up some equipment time he was able to sneak that in, but he had also just bought a new screw machine shortly before that. So all of a sudden now he had all these capital costs that he had to attribute to that project and assign to it. So in reality, it was a very expensive project, you know, to do. And it took a whole year, you know, and there was constant shipping of product back and forth between us. And I was doing some modeling and CAD drawings and, and everything. We actually ended up doing some uh, 3D printed models uh, later on on some on another product that was kind of loosely based on the Black Hornet. And so you just have all this that goes into it and people just don't understand all that money and time and resource. And when you're a broadhead company, for example, like us, is it does me no good as a company to move Nate Sellers from, say, a magnus stinger buzz cut over to a magnus um you and i were joking murder hornet let's yeah. because of murder hornets earlier in the year you and i were joking the other day about that okay we're going to come out with a new head murder hornet i'm gonna start a rumor how's that for now? there you but, go okay so it takes me no good to take nate sellers and move him from a buzz cut to a murder hornet because you as the typical consumer our our heads are usually around 40 dollars a pack so I just took your $40 and took it from product A to product B. I did nothing internally for me as a business to grow. I need to bring your buddy in who doesn't shoot a Magnus product. He shoots a whatever product, bring him in and get him to buy into one of the product lines. So if you can't, when you add a new product, if all you're going to do is shift your customer base, you've done nothing to financially gain yourself. And, you know, there's, there just isn't the marketing money out there like your big bow manufacturers have, your 
your Matthews, your Hoyt and them that they have to dump into, you know, um, marketing campaigns and flooding hunting TV and uh, magazines and all that stuff and online social media. We just don't have those kind of budgets. So people do get frustrated because they're like, you guys haven't released a new product or what if, what if you made a 200 grain uh, black hornet? And I'm like, you know what? We could, we could make two, we could make a 300 grain black hornet if you wanted. And I'm sure I could figure out a way to make it fly from an engineering perspective, but you've got to look at what that market segment is and to tool up to go to, and again, I'm just, these are crazy numbers. Let's say somebody wanted a 300 grain black hornet to tool up and do that would probably be, I would say that would probably be a $5,000 to $7,500 investment to tool up to do that. You got to show me where I can not only recoup all those, that, that money to tool up to do it, but then make it worthwhile in new customers to continue and make a, pro, a profit. And it's just not doable. Look, on my computer upstairs, I got some awesome product ideas. I mean, Mike and I kick around stuff all the time. Um, I got some awesome product ideas, but if you can't move them and you can't generate the profit, then that's all they're ever going to be is ideas. If somebody wants to offer me money to buy those ideas, I'll gladly sell them. But it's just, and, and there's actually been one here recently where I had an offer to sell it and I may, we may negotiate a deal on something. Um, but you know, I, another great example of that is the Bowpod. Man, that was an awesome product. Gosh, was that a great product. He and I worked and worked and developed that product. And it just, it sold, but it was one of those products that just took a long time to sell. It's not a consumable product. So once you buy one, you're typically not going to buy another one. Bow shops weren't displaying it properly. And so the product just dies, unfortunately. Um, you know, in that product there, we probably had close to $5,000 in developing that product. And people are like, oh man, I want those, you know, uh, rack packs, another one. Oh man, the rack pack was a killer product. And people are like, yeah, I want one. I want one. You're like, I would love to give them to you, but you, I can't, you know, we can't in the rack pack, for example, for us to, to bring, to put out to get like a thousand units, I think it was. I mean, you know, you're talking like a $20,000 investment. It's just insane amount of money. And we can't sit there and, and camp out on that money. You need to flip it. You, you got to flip it and get the cash flow going and move the product out. And people don't understand why new products don't get to market or old products die or why you don't develop every idea. Again, I got tons of great ideas. But it all just comes into it's just the the well of money is not deep for the majority of these companies like us. And this is something I tried to harp on in the very first episode of this podcast is how much I don't want to call it dead money, but that's essentially what it is. It's hopeful for a shop. You know, they're buying X amount of, you know, they can't just buy one pack of broadheads and just see what happens. They have to be committed to X amount of money in a product line in order to sell that. And if it doesn't sell, or if you guys as a manufacturer, you make it, you're 10, 15, 20,000 in a hole, and you, you know, what if it doesn't take off, right? You're, yeah. what, if, what if it doesn't want to sell? You know, that's, it's a huge, huge business risk and huge investment. You know, I could make a YouTube video and it could just, it could just die. doesn't matter. 
it was just some time, a little bit of camera equipment, uh, you know, some internet to upload it to YouTube. It doesn't matter, right? I have nothing really wholly invested in that. But if I if it, it does well, great. I, I just quadrupled my return on investment in terms of time and, and my camera equipment, that sort of stuff. When you're a business, you know, these larger ones like Faradine, I'll just pick on Faradine because they're just so massive. They have Muzzy and Block Targets and Rage and all sort of stuff. They can put $30,000 into the, you know, they can go from the, the Rage Tripan to the No Collar to the Plus P. They can do that because $30,000 in something that conglomerate that large is as sad as it is to say, it's pocket change and a lot of those things. Whereas these, these smaller hometown uh, heroes, if you will, it's just not, it's not the same. And the profit margin is not, a, is not high. Um, and so you're selling a lot of packs of broadheads. And this is something that I've been kind of getting a lot of ruffled feathers about because people keep asking about single bevel. You know, why don't these companies mm-hmm. start making single bevel things? <laughs> and I'm so tired of hearing about it because I don't think you understand that a single bevel knife and a double bevel knife are two totally different machining processes. The amount of time that would go into investing in that. And then again, if Nate Sellers goes from shooting a double bevel stinger to a single bevel stinger, it does no good. You're not gaining, does, you're not gaining any extra money than whatever. And so I got to bring a friend and his friend and a few more friends to try to help recoup that. And it just, it just doesn't happen. And, and they're still going to ask, well, if if it's good enough for your friends, then why didn't why aren't you shooting it, Nate? You know, right? Exactly. I mean, that's it. We, look, we we we've gone down the single bevel route before, and uh, you know, we've we've kicked it around and thought about it, you know, and and it just again, it doesn't fit what we do. I'm not I'm not going to argue the science one way or the other. I mean, you got diehards that believe one way and diehards that believe the other. And I sit there and go, okay, you know what, either way, A or B, I have a dead deer. And for what I'm doing, um, you know, it works for me. And so we look at Magnus and go, where's, where's the market? You know, we've got to have a big market in the way this company is structured to make it worth our while to jump into the single bevel and we don't see it. So why not let the other companies that do that well, let them do that well. We'll do what we do well. There's room for everybody um you know here and let them do what they do well we'll do what we do well you know i mean you know I, do you want a single bevel sure are you here here's the here's the best question for the consumer that and we've had these conversations consumer says yes but there will be a market there it's a smaller market it's market okay i dump the money into this we do this um actually mike dumps the money in we do this we're going to do it guess what those packs of heads are going to cost you well, what? Um, $150 a pack. Well, why so much? We got to recoup the money. Well, I'm not going to buy that. Well, then guess what? Now you understand why we're not going to do that. I'm not knocking the single bevel. I would love it. Man, I would love for you to be able to open up a Cabela's catalog and there'd be 15 different Magnus, completely different concepts of broadheads for you to choose from. But a, we can't justify it, and B, we'd also be shooting ourselves in the foot, you know. I mean, and saying, "Well, wait a minute, thought thought the buzz cut stinger was, you know, this m- most efficient type of cutting head. Well, I thought the the black hornet opens these massive holes. Then, then why are you doing this head? Why are you doing that head? So again, you've got to look at every business is different. Everybody, every business is set up to work in a manner that that 
is efficient for them and hopefully allows them to excel in what they're good at. And, you know, we're at 30, we're finishing up 36 years. Next year will be year 37 with Magnus Broadheads. We are not perfect at all, but I think that we've proven we're pretty darn good at what we do. And so we focus on customer service, attention to detail, quality, keeping it simple, and communication is the big thing now, you know, anymore is just communicating with the customers, you know, because now the customers have a direct line of access to Mike, to me, to pro staffers, to guys like you or Troy Fowler that, that mention the name quite a bit. Um, they, the consumer, every, the average Joe consumer has direct line of contact where that wasn't the case. 15, 20 years ago. I mean, 15, 20 years ago, you know, you weren't getting in touch with Michael Waddell because he was, you know, promoting a broadhead. Right now, if I had an issue with something Michael Waddell was shooting, um, A, I have his phone number, but B, if I didn't, I could get his phone number or get in touch with him through social media, you know, through some other channel or somebody else. So it's today is different. So communication is key. And that's where, you know, we think we excel at, at mag. Well, and, and it's one of the things that always blows my mind is, you know, if you go onto Facebook forums and someone asks like, what, you know, what, what do you think about this broadhead? You know, say it's a Magnus or whatever. Mike will make a YouTube comment. The guy's working like 40 hour days yet. He finds time to go onto Facebook and and connect to customers in a literal one-on-one i mean that that type of thing is it's expected now to an extent but it's still not from everybody and so i think that speak world that speaks worlds to what these smaller companies are doing and i think people appreciate that way more than they ever did than just walking into their local big box store buying a brand of anything and not having that connection because you know, if I had a problem, even if, even if I wasn't in my position, if I had a problem, I, I remember back well before I had any YouTube, I, I wrote an email or something and the, the responses from my some Magnus CEO. And it's like, oh my gosh, the freaking CEO just sent me an email. Like that is un, you know, it's not some, you know, tech intern sitting in a cubicle somewhere. I mean, it was just, it's that type of stuff that is really important and really critical. And I think you guys do really, really well. So yeah, thanks. We, you know, that's, you know, I, I'm speaking for Mike uh, because I know him so well, but, you know, that's Mike, what he strives to be. He all, wants to be all customer service all the time. He cannot stand it when somebody is upset with him, um, whether it's justified or not with the product. With most of, most of the time, it's not justified, and we find the solution. But he cannot stand it when somebody's upset, and he will do whatever you know, pretty much to, you know, to resolve the situation right um you know so so let's 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 step away from the industry and let's go closer to home here i want to talk about raising kids in the outdoors and anybody who follows derek on youtube new day outdoors and if you don't you should because he's pumping out content like crazy his cinematography is phenomenal we'll talk more about that that filming aspect later down the road but if you notice in almost all of his videos, his uh, daughters who are now college age are in his, in his videos and they're in their older videos. Uh, Your youngest was one of the promo videos for, for the Magnus bullhead, the Turkey, um, uh, Turkey chopper, Turkey head whopper broadhead. It's been a big part of your life to uh, bring your daughters into the outdoors. And I've got two kids. 
both girls three and four. And I know I look up to people like you and other people that are raising their kids to the outdoors. I just want to talk about what are some things that you did out there in Indiana to start your kids that made it easier, more fun, because you were doing it before there were iPads, right? You were taking kids out in the woods before there were Mm -hmm. iPads, technology to amuse themselves. You know, what were you doing to make it, I don't want to say necessarily easier, but definitely more inviting to them when they were a much younger age? Um, yeah, so my daughters are, are 19 and 21. Sydney is 19. Trevor, yes, I know that's an odd name for a girl, but yeah, Trevor, she is 21. Um, they're both uh, heading off to Purdue. So we'll yeah, they're up. that age. Yeah, boiler up. So um, yeah, they're college age. and. You know, for me, for me, this goes back to when I grew up, um, my dad and I have a very complicated relationship. Um, unfortunately, we're not close. Um, love the guy to death, but we're not. And um, we didn't do much, you know, together when I was growing up. And, and I'm not, that's not, I'm not blaming him. I'm just saying that's what happened. And so when I had kids, um, I wanted to do whatever with my kids. And so, you know, I was hunting and, uh, you know, Trevor was just a little tiny thing and, and she, you know, being a kid, you know, wanted to be with dad all the time. And, and so I welcomed that, whether it was tinkering out on the garage and stuff or whatever. And, uh, you know, she just, she was drawn to going hunting. And so I'm like, well, we got to figure this out. I don't know. I didn't grow up in a hunting family. So for me, I didn't have a parent as a mentor um, or an uncle or anything like that. So, well, I guess we're going to figure this out. And there was, there was no rule book. There was nothing to teach me how to do it. And it was just all about making them fun. And so really I started them out, both of them. I'm also loved to waterfowl hunt. And at the time I used to do a lot of goose hunting in the September seasons. And I, this was all about the time when like layout blinds were starting to get popular where you lay them in a field. And, you know, I was just like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to make it fun for them. And so I'd put them in layout blinds and the temperatures were warm. And when geese are flying in, it's, it's a lot different than deer hunting. There's a, you know, you, you see them, they're in big groups, you hear them, you know, you're calling to them. There's just a lot of there's just a lot of input, you know, it's just, things are going from a lot of stimulation going from all different directions and they fed on it. They thought it was neat and it just kept going from there. And it was like, Hey dad, how soon till, till I can hunt, you know? And I'm like, well, you got past this hunter safety and blah, blah, blah. And you know, it's just, I, I remember Trevor, I think I told her, I'm like, yeah, when you're seven, I'll take you for hunter safety. I remember on her seventh birthday, I remember it as clear as it was yesterday. Dad, I'm seven. When do I get to take on her safety exam? I'm like, oh, crap. What did I do here? <laughs> you know, I created a monster. Um, and so I just, I always tried to get them in situations, whether definitely before they were hunting and when they were just coming along with dad, but also when they started actually hunting. I tried to put them in situations where a, I knew that we would see something. Um, and I would put them in situations where it was comfortable too. I, you know, so many dads take their, 
I used to hear about it. Like, oh, my dad made me go out when it was when I was seven years old and it was zero degrees and sitting in a tree stand quiet. And I'm like, you know what? That'd be the first way to steer me away from wanting to go deer hunting. Hell, I don't like doing that now, you know? Um, so I would take them out in the warmer seasons. I would find, you know, I would find a spot where I had some beans that were still green in a field and I'd had trail cameras up and like, okay, I know there's does and fawns coming in here to feed. I didn't care if about a big buck. It was just getting them to see stuff, taking them out turkey hunting over an open field in a ground blind where I knew we would at least see a bird and I knew we would hear birds. Just you know, stuff like that to keep them engaged. Um, I felt that was really important. I introduced them to bows and firearms at a very young age. Some, I got ridiculed back in the day for it, you know, back on forums before social media, but on forums about, you know, introducing my kids to firearms too young and bows too young. And I mean, both of my kids, I, they owned, they had BB guns and were shooting them when they were four years old. And you know, of course, all this stuff is very supervised and safe and everything, you know, I mean, safety was always the most, uh, the most important thing. And, you know, teaching them the safety, te- teaching them to handle a BB gun as if it was a 12 gauge shotgun, you know, I mean, the muzzle direction, the safety, you know, I mean, just everything you would do and just drilling it into them, but keeping it fun and letting them shoot rather than shooting paper shooting balloons because a balloon pops and they actually see that, you know, and, you know, or taking water bottles and filling them up with water with red food coloring so they could actually see water spray out, you know, and I just, everything we did was with the intention of having fun and learning and it just grew. And, and for some reason, neither one of them lost the passion. Um, I was very blessed in that, that both of them, still are ate up with it now arguably at 19 and 21 sydney's my hardcore hunter that that girl will hunt trevor loves to hunt but for her it's more about spending time with dad which is equally just as cool in my opinion um but sydney's the one that will be like let's go turkey hunt dad let's let's go deer hunt dad Um, and she is, she, and she's funny because we don't now, we don't talk much when we're out hunting. Um, she, and we hunt together. That is a cool thing. My girls don't like to hunt away from me. They can, and they have, but they don't like to, they want to be in the stand with me and they don't need me to coach. I'm the cameraman. Um, but they just, they, they like that. And, and Sydney will, she and I won't ever say a word and she knows she you know, she does all the work. She set decoys or say, no, dad, I think we ought to do this with the decoys or that. Trevor's the opposite. She gets in the deer stand with me and we never stop talking. We laugh. We're taking selfies. I can't even believe that we see a deer half the time that we do. Um, But for her, hunting is more of a dad and me thing. I hope that as she becomes an adult and has her own family, I hope that somehow we figure out a way to keep that whole thing going where she keeps hunting and still keeps it a family thing for her. But again, Sydney, she is, that kid is locked on when she goes turkey hunting or deer hunting or, you know, whatever, um, that kid just hunts. And, and so I, I think again, it was all back to just 
keeping it all fun. And, you know, as technology progressed and stuff, iPads did creep into the hunting blind with us and all that. But it was, it was always about taking snacks, taking books, taking whatever, just to be out there together and always, always keeping it fun. I see too, too many dads. I've seen it in friends of mine here. I've seen it with comments online about the most important thing of that hunt is that big buck or that turkey or whatever. And my mindset was always about the most important about that thing about this hunt is time in the field with my kids. If we get a big buck, if we kill a big turkey, if we help we kill a doe, I mean, whatever it is, that's the icing on the cake. I always wanted to put him in a situation where we'd see it because that makes it fun. Honestly, I hate sitting in a deer stand all day and not seeing anything too. So I wanted that for them. I wanted them to hear turkeys gobble, but if we got something awesome, if we didn't, so be it. And actually, if you, if you really want to be technical about it, I think this, okay, this spring, Trevor and I doubled turkeys. We shot turkeys with shotguns at the same time. It was an awesome opportunity. She killed one. I killed the other one. All on film. Besides that, I can't remember a time, besides goose hunting, waterfowl hunting, I can't remember a time that one of my kids was with me when I killed an animal. Goose hunting and duck hunting was different, but deer hunting, I know that neither one of them's ever been with me when I killed an animal. And I'm 99% sure that's the first time one of them's ever been with me when I killed a turkey. So that tells you in my, what that, what I believe in my heart that says is where I put the value of those hunts. The value is with them. Um, We saw a lot of cool stuff together. You know, we experienced a lot of cool stuff together. I've been right there next to every one of them when they've killed every single animal that they've killed. Um, But, uh, you know, again, it was always about, now I take that back. I did kill one big buck. I killed a big buck when Trevor was with me one time. Yes, I I do remember that as well. A big 11 pointer actually. But, uh, but outside that, I mean, it's always has been about time with them and just keeping it fun. And that's what I would encourage. I mean, this is a long winded answer, but, I would just encourage parents in, and, you know, if your kids, you know, take interest, do whatever makes it fun and focus on that. And then the, let the chips fall where they let, may, you know, at that point. So, well, anyways, I, I will say that that speaks volumes in the sense that, you know, when I started hunting in PA, you can hunt till you were 12. So I, I did my own thing in the woods, this, that, and the other thing. And, turkey hunting obviously i started my my parents didn't hunt so it was my 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 mom's dad and um i had missed because of the timing of the the hunter safety system course and everything i missed my first deer season at the age of 12 i didn't get it till turkey season the following spring and so my granddad had to go with me obviously and sit i had no idea what i was doing but then as soon as i started hunting deer at 13 14 right after that first kind of one or two sits there at the age of 13 I didn't kill anything, but my granddad was like, all right, you can climb a tree stand and keep yourself safe. You hunt this ridge. And if you need me, I'll be over there on that ridge. Right. <laughs> and, and that's, that's the way he was raised. And, yeah. um, it's, it was very under, you know, looking back, it's very understandable at the time. I was like, this doesn't make any sense, but I did not kill a deer in anybody else's presence until three years ago. 
right? Yeah. And I and I I had killed one turkey with my granddad a couple of years. I think I was fourteen or fifteen. But outside of that, I had never hunted next to somebody, and they were present when I shot something. And so I had I was out a couple of years ago with a buddy, and I shot a doe, and I remember it being like the coolest experience because someone was there to experience it with me. Last year, my good buddy Nate from the Budget Sportsman, we went out hunting together, and it was the first time I'd ever killed a buck with somebody next to me. And we got mm-hmm. the whole thing on film. And it was such a special moment to me because I never had it growing up as a kid. Mm-hmm. And thankfully yeah. I've kept the, the hunting passion and the archery passion my entire life, even though I've always been kind of a lone wolf in that regard. But knowing that like I can give that opportunity of always being there for my kids, I think that's super important because being a, a school teacher, you know, I teach 10, 11, 12 year olds, they're always talking about, I'm out with pap, I'm out with dad, I'm out with uncle or mom or grandma even. And, you know, we killed a turkey together. We killed, I'm like, that is cool because that is something that you'll remember as a special, you know, it happens. It's really cool. I, you know, watch it on your channel all the time. It's cool. You get the experience. You're hugging each other. You're laughing. You're crying together. It's so exhilarating to matter the size or what the animal is. And I think those are bonds and moments that you don't ever lose between family members and particularly a father and son or father and daughter in, in our cases. So I'm excited for it. I think it'll be a lot of fun. It's cool to watch. And, um, dude, it's, 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 a, it's, it's just been, a, it's been this amazing ride that I would never trade for anything, you know, I, and I'm sure, you know, I mean, I mean, my kids played sports and other thing, but, it, and it, that's been fun to watch them, you know, in their tennis careers in particular, but, or 4-H, they're, both of my girls are big in 4-H and watching them over that 10-year progression. But nothing has been as satisfying as watching them go from little kids to now young women and, you know, being there with them and all those kills. You know, I mean, it's Sydney, Sydney killed her first turkey when she was seven years old. And to me, it, granted, I've watched it on video now probably a thousand times. I mean, it's still on my YouTube channel, but I remember it like it was yesterday in my mind. I could, if there was never even a video of that, I would remember it just clear as day. Trevor, she killed a little uh, button buck when she was eight years old uh, with her muzzleloader in on my property, which uh, we did not own then, but we now own, and is literally in the exact same spot, about uh, twenty yards from where Sydney killed her first turkey. Um, but we didn't own the property then, and. Uh, that one too. That one was not filmed because that was before I was filming. And uh, you know, that one too, I can I can remember every detail, every detail of that hunt in my mind. I mean, seriously, to the point where I'm like, I really didn't video that because I would swear I've watched that thing a million times on video. Right. But those memories, I mean, every single one of them, I've got them and you know. You know, some have been preserved on film. There have been others that, you know, we've just left the cameras at home and just gone and hunted just to hunt, you know, which yeah. is fun every once in a while because everything I do typically is with a camera. And, uh, you know, some of those are fun to just even leave the camera behind, you know, right. but I wouldn't trade it for anything. So. Well, let's actually unpack that a little bit because you have done so much filming. Let's kind of transition to this is this is kind of a, this is new to me filming hunts. I've been in front of a camera now for multiple years, but last year was my first like honest to goodness in front of a, in front of a camera for hunting. You've been doing it for a very long time. And mm-hmm. I don't think I've actually ever asked you 
so this would be kind of new to me. Maybe, maybe I just forget, but why cinematography and filmography and photography? Like where did that, that blossom start? Like, has that been with you forever or was that because, no. okay. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, <clears throat> you know, it, it all goes back to my kids really, you know, as a, you know, I, I never owned a camera, anything. Didn't he, I, if you had handed me a, uh, 35 millimeter film camera back in the day, I'd have been like, I don't even know what to do with something like this. Um, but you know, it started out, you know, it was, it was the girls. Um, I think Trevor was, she had killed that button the button buck. And, and I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta figure out a way to, to, uh, preserve this. And of course, you know, I mean, this was in 90, I don't know, 90, 96. 97 i it's been a long time now and um she we had a little handy cam uh that my wife had that we would video the kids like most parents did you know it was on tape base back when they're little and you know it's just you know you set it on a tripod on christmas morning and let it run for three hours or whatever and you know and, and then nobody ever watches the stuff again so I decided a buddy, another good friend of mine here at home, he was all big into, um, oh, what's the group? Slunger Hollow. They're Ohio boys. They had a TV show. They did some DVDs. Um, he was big into them. He was going to, he was going to film hunt and he was going to, he just wanted to do everything that they were doing. And I was like, Oh yeah, whatever, dude. Like, okay. Like I have zero interest in this. And, uh, so then, you know, my daughter and my kids are older than his. And uh, so my daughter kills that button buck. And, you know, we worked together at the time and we we're talking and he's like, man, he's like, too bad. You don't have that on video. I'm like, oh, whatever. So the next year it got to be deer season and uh, I had a ground blind set up and I was like, you know, what? I'm going to grab that handy cam. And I think we had this rickety tripod and all that and i took trevor out and it was in the youth season and sure enough like an hour into the hunt this big old doe and a couple of fawns roll out and i'm filming it and, um and boom she rolls this big doe drops her right in her tracks at like 25 yards and i filmed the whole thing and you know we we were just it dude it's like the worst edit it's actually on a different YouTube channel of mine that I lost the password four years ago and I can't get into it. <laughs> so anyways, and I, I just stumbled on that video actually the other day and I just laugh at it because it's such a terrible video, but it just lit a fire and I was like, man, I'm just going to keep doing this. And, it, and I know, dude, I had no intentions of cinematography, of artsy shooting photos getting in there it was just filming your kids so then i'm like okay i'm sure i can film myself i remember i shot the dinkiest doe one time self-filming it was the first one first thing i'd filmed of me shooting something and you know i just i i look i'm an engineer i i have ocd uh, i'm obsessive compulsive as it gets and when I jump into something, I typically jump in both feet and like, like, it's a good thing. I'm not like a car junkie or something because I would, I'd be like, yeah, I gotta have this. And I gotta, you know, and I get, and I, that's what I did. I just started buying camera gear and I started, I dove into this world 
of trying to learn as much as I could. And uh, I mean, the rabbit hole just went so deep. And so it just became uh, studying and reading and researching. And back then, even when I did all this, YouTube was just starting back then. And so you didn't have like now, if you want to know, if you want to know to sh- how to shoot, um, you know, some kind of uh, epic B-roll with a drone, dude, you, all you got to do is go on YouTube and be like, epic B-roll with a drone. And here come 50 videos, you know, from uh, from drone nerds to, I mean, it's just all the different channels and there's great stuff. You, and you can become an expert within two hours of, you know, watching videos and then you got to go out and apply it. It wasn't that way then, you know, and, and I didn't know how to shoot photos and I had some guys that I kind of loosely knew and they kind of ran some basics with me and I bought a couple used cameras and again, it just, I spiraled down this rabbit hole and, and for me, it's actually an addiction. Uh, It's pretty, (laughs) it's pretty bad because I can watch, I can watch uh, videos on you know, what, what's one, I was watching a lighting, a video on lighting here the other day, um, on different lighting techniques. And I'm just like, have I really gone down the rabbit hole this far? You know? And, and I'm like, okay, I got to have that light. I got to have that diffuser. I got to get this. I got to do that. You know? And I just, it just spiraled out of control and, and here I am. And, you know, I, I just, I'm one who's never been happy with what I just did. Like, there's got to be a way to do it better there. And that's the way I run my life with everything. There's got to be a way to do what I just did better. And I don't want to make a hunting video anymore. That is what every Tom, Dick and Harry on YouTube or his, the, the cookie cutter stamped project that we've seen on TV a zillion times for the last 20 years. I don't want that. I don't want to make that. And so, you know, again, I find myself going down this rabbit hole of how do I become creative in a different way and make something that stands out, hopefully a little different than, than everybody else. And, and isn't focused necessarily on the one kill shot of that, you know, giant deer is okay. How can you, how could, how could you take, how could you take shooting a doe and turn it into this really kick butt 10 minute video that tells a story that's got multiple camera angles and has got this cinematic effect that feels like I didn't just watch the same cookie cutter production that, you know, has been out there for 20 years now. So that's, that's just kind of where the whole thing ended up taking me. So. Yeah. And this is something with this telling a story thing, I think is so important. Like, of course, you know, having the multiple camera angles is really cool. That really helps bring an extra, I don't want to say three-dimensional element, but it really does, particularly like your turkey hunts. You'll have a GoPro out of the decoy. You'll have a GoPro facing you in the blind. You get the main camera doing all the a lot of the heavy lifting, and it just tells a much better story than what we're used to. But also, one thing that I I vividly remember as as a kid watching TV shows, the hunting shows. I loved watching it where like it was like it was like a five minute long well here was sit one nothing happened here was sit two nothing happened here was sit three we saw the deer that we were chasing but he was 50 yards away then sit four and like and the seasons are changing we go from the early season to the to the rut to the late season and then it's late season over a cut bean field 
he comes out and they whack him with a muzzle loader. And it's like, oh, that is awesome. How much time and energy and devotion was put into that hunt. Granted, maybe it was at an outfitter. Maybe it was on a real manicured farm, if you will, for these deer out in the Midwest. But for somebody like me, who, you know, I'm hunting the, the hardwoods of PA and that sort of stuff. It was like, okay, they also have sits where they don't see anything. Or, okay, they have a sit where they saw a whole bunch of does or, and they didn't get a shot. Or, you know, they had a sit where they saw a couple of raccoons come out of a tree den or something. That's cool, you know. And this is something that the YouTube creation scene has, has taken on. I think it's really important because I think people connect to that more and they appreciate that more. Um, and we were talking earlier off air about your turkey hunt down in Texas. Um, and, you know, we see the eight, 10 minute long clip but it was like four days and multiple trips and all that sort of stuff. And we get to see all of that in just a short amount of time, but it builds the story so much better. Yeah. Well, you know, something that was forgotten in the hunting industry and in all those years of hunting TV, and it started, like you said, but it was forgotten along the way. And then it got forgotten even, and it still is forgotten some today by a lot of people, everybody wants to see the kill. That's all they care about. They just want to see the, the, the animal die. Um, but what has been forgotten is the basic principle. I don't care what you're shooting. It can be a turkey hunt, a deer hunt. It could be a documentary about an athlete. It could be whatever. Story is king. Every time. And I'm not talking tech review videos i'm not talking like videos on how to um you know properly you know anchor and release the bow what i'm talking about is when you're trying to produce something let's say a, a, about a hunt story trumps everything period there's got to be a story there's got to be a setup there's it's basically the three-part narrative there's got to be a setup there's got to be a conflict and there's got to be a resolution. A story trumps it all. If you don't have that, then all you got is somebody with camera that happens to film an arrow going through a deer. Hey, here we are holding my deer up, blah, blah, blah. Boom. That has been done 8 million times on YouTube. And it's the most boring thing to watch. And, you know, if that stings, if somebody hears that and, and that stings, then so be it. Because I can say that because I did it. I did it for many years. I was regurgitating the same crap. And it was boring. And, and you've got to tell a story. You know, um, you know, I went down to Texas twice this past spring. And both times it was a grind. It was grueling. And I actually, and I produced, you know, a couple of videos on those. And I actually really liked the second one I did. And the second one was just me shooting a Jake at the end of the trip. But I, what I tried to do was I did not want this just like, why'd you go to Texas just to shoot a Jake? I wanted to tell a story of how we got to shooting that Jake. So in eight minutes, I don't remember the length of the video, what it is. I tried to hopefully take the viewer on a journey and told the journey primarily through images um, with as little narrative as possible. In fact, I go back and look at the edit now in my continually obsession to, I want to do it better. 
I go back and I go, man, you could have, you could have whacked that. You could have whacked that out of there. You could have cut that out of there. You're talking too long. Shut up. Just like I am right now. And, you know, here, tell the story. And I want to tell the story through the video aspect of it. And it's one of the things I've been kind of striving to do is, is less narrative when it comes to hunting um, stuff. Again, I'm not talking product reviews. I mean, how you and I were talking about student shooting video last night on a product on a video I'm working on. And I got back and was looking stuff on the computer. I'm like, dude, gosh, you talk too much. But I think it's needed in certain situations. I'm talking about, uh, again, you know, shooting a hunt video and how do you, how do you come up with different ways to tell that story and tell it different than somebody else. And quite frankly, I look outside the industry um, to try and find uh, in, you know, something to inspire me on how I'm going to tell a hunting story. I, I look at something, um, for example, um, the series on, on Netflix, the ranch, um, it's a, it's, it's kind of slapsticky comedy, but their intro to that show, if you've ever watched it, the intro to the show is really well done and it is video images overlaid on top of each other that just it's like four layers deep and they fade and they continue to rotating and if you watch those two trips to texas that i did i took that principle and put it in there and i was i'd been wanting to do that for so long because i think what you can do is you can tell in 30 seconds or 60 second time block you can tell a long story in a short time block by doing that. And it was something I did. And in the first one I did, I kind of liked it. The second one I liked better. If I was going to do that edit again today, I would do it. I would tweak it even further, but it's looking outside of the industry to come up with, with inspiration. I, I have a ton of YouTube creators that I watch. Most of the stuff I watch on YouTube is not hunting related. I mean, 90% of it's not, but there are creators out there that I watch religiously um, because I want to see how they tell their stories and how can I take some of their principles and pull them into the hunting genre, not copy them, but just pick ideas and go, man, I remember seeing somebody do something, this move with this camera and transition into this. How can I do something similar in what I'm doing and create something different than xyg turkey thug channel or whatever you know on on youtube so yeah so that's kind of where i try and go with it you know well and i think it's funny you know because we don't just buy a movie ticket and walk into the theater during the climax of the film yeah and as soon as and then just leave we yeah. just don't do that we watch it from beginning to end and of course i'm an english teacher so, you know, exposition, incident, rising action, climax, falling action. There's so many parts to a story. And it's so cool because, and, and I, I always remember um, years ago, I want to say it was, it was close to eight, nine years ago, uh, somebody interviewed Ted Nugent. Of course, the Nugent is a crazy man. But he was talking about Fred Bear. And he was talking about how Fred Bear said that the kill is anticlimactic. It's all the buildup, right? You're talking to your buddies. Who's coming to camp? Who's bringing the water? Who's bringing the beer? Who's going to sit here, hang in the trail camera, all this sort of stuff. You get pictures, you plant the food plot, you do all this. It builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. And that climactic moment of you actually standing over the animal that you work so hard for 
is just moments. It's seconds of the whole of the whole thing. It really is just moments of months of preparation. And I think that's where channels like yours and of course everybody knows the hunting public they just do from the moment where they're in the car talking about this they're looking at the map they're back at the hotel or the airbnb they're scouting this we're going to try this out we don't know sometimes it pans out sometimes it's trash but we all are doing that at home in our own hunting experience and i think we love seeing that story from beginning to end we talked a little bit off air you know if i'm scrolling through my youtube feed and i see a video that's like 10 minutes long i'm like ah you know do i really have 10 minutes hunting public video comes on it's 42 minutes long i watch that sucker beginning to end because it tells that story and it captivates that part of my hobby that archery and the and and the hunting that just tells that story and we all live for that story and we want that story to be told in a in a in a fluid way you know i ramble as much as the next guy if not way more and we, we, want, we want that story to be told in a clean, concise way that we follow along, we understand, we resonate with. And I think that's important. I'll have to, you'll have to send me some of the uh, other channels that you're following because I could use some good content now here. I've been quarantined since February. I could really use some, yeah. uh, some fresh YouTube content. Man, I'll tell you what. I, I, he does a lot of reviews of it. Man, anything, anything that Peter McKinnon touches, okay. dude, like, Anything that Peter McKinnon touches, um, guy by the name of Josh Yo, um, he's got a YouTube channel called Make Art Now. Just, oh my goodness! Like, I mean, if you watch their films that they do, um, and just even some of the goofy stuff they do, I just I I watch. It. Jesse Driftwood is another guy. Like, I'm just like, what? How in the world did you just pull that off with a camera? How in the world did you take me somewhere trying to, they, sometimes they take you down a path telling a story and you're like, I see where this is going. And then you get blindsided with something that you're like, holy crap, I never saw this turn this way. And so, you know, those are just, you know, some of them that, that I gravitate to and, and they also do a lot of breaking down and how that they do things. And, there's just a lot to be learned. And when you can, you should really go outside um, the industry, even going to, you know, to movies. I mean, pick your favorite movies and watch how in your favorite movies or TV shows that they do something, you know, um, you know, whether it's a look, whether it's a, a color grade, if you like a color grade or a style, you know, stylization, I, I color grade all of my footage because I don't want my footage to look like, uh, somebody who doesn't do color grading. I I want the teals. I want the oranges. I want I want some of the contrast and the texture. I want to take advantage of the dynamic range in the cameras. Um, you know, one of the huge appeals for the hunting public guys and their channel is the story they tell. They tell it in a raw way. They tell it in a very unpolished way. Their 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 footage looks like what you can produce with any camera that you go and buy and that's awesome it works for them i know those guys are wonderful guys and they do a great job and i don't want mine to look like that i want mine to have a more polished look i want mine to have a more cinematic artsy look to it um i color grade everything i work in different you know different color palettes depending on the mood of the of the the product or the project i may change the mood of the project from a very warm mood to a cold mood throughout the video 
video just because where the story takes it. So that's just the way I like to do it. And, and it's one of the ways that I found that I can hopefully differentiate myself uh, from others. Now, some people don't like it. I got a really good friend of mine here at home, hates everything I do. Absolutely hates it. Hates <laughs> everything I do. He wants to see the kill. That's all he cares about. That's it. And that's cool. I get it. And then there's other people that love it. And, you know, at the end of the day, you just make, you know, what, what makes you happy. But if you really want to produce something good, no matter how you shoot it, what equipment you shoot it with, what audio you record with, if you have one camera, or 10 cameras, story is king every time. Every time story is king. Hashtag create more. Create more, man. Hashtag create more. Somebody told me to do that. And I was like, by God, I'm going to do it. So. <laughs> Well, buddy, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast today. Plug yourself again. Where can folks find the Derek Craig on the social media? <laughs> so obviously I have my own Facebook page, but um, really, I mean, my content anymore, my content is really geared towards video and, um, you know, YouTube is, is king uh, for me and it's New Day Outdoors. It's my YouTube channel. You can find my Instagram, New Day Outdoors. Um, I have a new day outdoors Facebook page. I, it just ends up getting links from my YouTube because YouTube is really kind of everything. Um, I don't Twitter. I do have a Twitter account, but I've pretty much deleted it uh, off my phone. Actually, I've deleted all social media from my phones in the last few weeks and it's the best feeling. Really? Oh dude. Yeah. I only get on on, I've got a tablet that I'll get on like in the evening and just check, you know, some updates, but yeah, I've, my phones that don't have, I have three phones and none of them have social media on them. Anymore. That's awesome. None. So yeah, but really uh, go to my YouTube channel and uh, please, you know, hit subscribe, uh, follow along. I do, I do a lot of videos that aren't hunting related as well. Um, but I've just, I decided, you know, a year or more ago, I'm just going to create stuff that makes me happy. So I've got, you know, subcategories. So if you just want to see Turkey hunting stuff, there's like, I think last count, there's like, 80 some turkey related videos in there and there's a deer section and there's a gear section and all that you know and and uh, all my every weekend my saturday sunday videos are in there which are seldom hundred and related but when they are they are you know it's kind of light and all that but yeah please new day outdoors go to that youtube channel um if you go to the magnus broadheads channel you'll see content that i've created there um you know that's obviously magnus branded stuff so yeah that's the best way to find me. Reach out, send me a private message. If you got questions about Magnus gear, I'm always there for a tech support standpoint. You know, if you got questions about filming, if you got questions about getting your kids involved in hunting, you know, bow hunting, whatever, you know, hit me up. So for sure. Well, thanks, but Well, folks, thanks for sticking with me and Derek today on today's episode of the Average Jack Archery podcast. Again, if you would like to be a part, send me an email averagejackarchery at gmail.com find me on instagram find me on facebook and of course you can always leave a comment on youtube hope you're able to get outside enjoy the sport of archery archery hunting if you so choose definitely enjoy god's beautiful creation and we'll get to see you next time